Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Beyond Donald Trump and the circus of the 2016 presidential primary lies a big, complex world. Today, we take a look at how big Americans really want that world to be. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for joining us, everyone, for another episode. We want to thank everyone who has been buying T-shirts and becoming supporters. We're going to give a big shout out coming soon. I know we keep saying that, but we have to really get organized. I want to do you all the justice you deserve for being such awesome supporters of our show. Um, and also want to encourage everyone to fill out the survey. You guys have been amazing and have been giving such great feedback that we hope is going to help us build a better Pantsuit Politics. So a couple things to run through in the pearls today. We thought we would spend a second talking about something other than the presidential race. 
Hold on to your hats. I know that's shocking. So there are a bunch of important Senate races coming up. Republicans have 24 seats that are considered to be at risk and Democrats only 10. Mm. And Democrats have a major opportunity because of that imbalance to take back control of the Senate. So I thought we could like spread this out over time and just highlight a couple of interesting races. And certainly as the primaries end, we'll have more information about these. But the first one I wanted to note is in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania primary is on April 26th. And right now, four Democrats are running to oppose Senator Pat Toomey, who is a first term incumbent. And what's interesting about this race, and we'll link up an article that flushes this out more, this is expected to be one of the most expensive races in the country. It was very expensive when Senator Toomey acquired his seat, and I think acquired is maybe a good word to use here um, because of the amount of money involved, and it mm. looks to be hugely expensive this time. There is a ton of money already flooding in from PACs on both sides to finance this race. And I, I've heard several times, we may have mentioned this on the show, that it's more expensive to run for Senate in big states than to run for president. That Because you're crazy. not getting all the free media. It's so crazy to me. The way the money they got spent in our last race between Mitch McConnell and Allison Lundergan and Grimes was just, it's just crazy. It's crazy money. It's crazy money. It's crazy money and it's crazy making because all this money is being spent and all anyone does is complain about it, mm -hmm. you know? So there has to be a better way. But that's happening in Pennsylvania. I am so curious on what you think, Sarah, about this race in Maryland for Barbara Mikulski's seat. Uh, Senator Mikulski is retiring, and there is a very interesting Democratic primary happening between Representative Chris Van Hollen and Representative Donna Edwards. So this actually, I'm sort of a little, I have a little personal investment in this race. So when I was in law school, um, I guess this was the summer after my second year in law school, one of my professors, Jamin Raskin, um, ran for a local state, Maryland, Maryland state Senate seat against this long-term incumbent. I think her name was like Ida or something. This lady had been there for like 40 years. And I kind of got involved. I worked for his campaign and I got involved with sort of all these sort of Maryland politics. And a lot of my friends who worked on his campaign went on. One of my friends went on to work for Chris Van Hollen. Um, and I remember Donna Edwards being very involved around the, the race as well. So now, actually, since Chris Van Hollen is now running for Mikulski's seat, Jamie Raskin, my professor, former professor, is I think he's still a professor, I guess, is um, running for Chris Van Hollen's seat. So, um, it's, it's Maryland is experiencing an, um, embarrassment of riches right now because the truth is they're both really wonderful. Chris Van Hollen, I really, I, I never heard anything bad about him. It was always so, uh, you know, sort of upstanding. Everybody liked working for him and everything. He was wonderful. And the same with Donna Edwards. I mean, there's a huge part of me that wants a black female senator. Again, we've only had one. Um, and she was, she's amazing. I think she's like a single mom and just a really phenomenal woman. And I like the idea of Mikulski being um, replaced by her. So, I mean, again, either one would be wonderful. May we experience embarrassment of riches on a broader scale? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel that a little bit. I feel that a little bit right now with the Kentucky Senate Democratic primary. I like. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in a later episode, and hopefully we'll have one of the candidates on. But 
It's a good place to be in. It, it's a good place to be in. I wish that the incumbent being challenged were our other senator. But yeah, truth. But see, that's a good problem too, right? Really, at the end of the day, it's not, there are worse problems like me feeling like, oh, I don't hate Rand Paul and I want him out and I'll just be devastated if he wins. But also, I love all these Democrats. Like, I like that feeling. I like feeling like, man, so many good choices. Not that I, I mean, let me not go too far in saying that I think, you know, Rand Paul is this great choice for me personally. But in the in the universe of Republicans, yeah, I don't I don't mind him. I would like that embarrassment of riches sentiment, like crocheted on a pillow or something. Yeah. We should get to work on that. Mm-hmm. The other Senate race I wanted to highlight is Ted Strickland and Rob Portman in Ohio. So two very important figures in Ohio politics. And that's just going to shape up to be an interesting one. Rob Portman used some of his stumping with John Kasich to start slamming Ted Strickland. So I imagine a lot of money will be spent in that race and that it will get very personal as well. And um, I hope that that happens in a way that is not an embarrassment, because I do think these are two guys who have worked very hard to serve the public in Ohio. Mm-hmm. There are strong opinions out there about both of them. I do not live in Ohio and I'm not going to take a strong opinion on either of them sitting here today, other than to say that, of course, Rob Portman would be my choice in this race. But I think that that could be a very interesting and very substantive race if they will choose to go that direction. Mm -hmm. Another very substantive topic. I have been trying to follow the sort of outcomes of the nuclear summit that took place last week. We discussed it on Friday's episode And I will say that everything I've read about it has been very dense and a real mixed bag in terms (laughs) of what it makes me feel. Um, I thought that we could kind of highlight today, especially as we're going into a discussion about trade, the focus on China that happened during this summit. Um, There are some good things here. There was a, you know, very strong commitment from the Chinese to nuclear security going forward. There is a self-interest that propels that interest in security. So China is super interested in being the center of nuclear power in the world. Hmm. And they are, to that end, building all kinds of technology around harnessing nuclear power. And they signed a joint statement with the United States on nuclear security cooperation. And I wanted to read this section of it because I thought, you know, this sounds good. Um, each country commits to work together to foster a peaceful and stable international environment by reducing the threat of nuclear terrorism and striving for a more inclusive, coordinated, sustainable and robust global nuclear security architecture for the common benefit and security of all. Well, that sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And China is going to be signing the Paris Agreement and is very interested in supplanting the environmentally devastating use of coal going on in China with nuclear power. So some good things. Um, China is also spending more money to develop nuclear weapons than Russia is. Oh. So all of my good feelings. I read that sentence and I was like, I take it back. I just there's um, I don't really understand why anyone anywhere is still developing nuclear weapons. Is that just the crazy liberal in my, deep down in my soul? I do not understand why we are talking about it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish that I could say that I totally agree with you about that. And in my heart, I do. I, I would love for us all to say we're not going to do this anymore. I guess I don't have the faith in humanity completely that 
we're all going to actually do that. Yeah. But it's surprising to me that that's a known thing and that we're, and, and I mean, I guess I feel a little bit positive about that. I mean, I think it's the fact that all of these world leaders are coming together and sitting down and talking about this. That's my takeaway. Let's do more of this and see where it goes because the alternative seems real scary to me, just like it seems real scary to me that Russia didn't show for this. So I probably should have said this in the last time we brought this up at the briefcase, um, but nuclear energy is, you know, a topic I'm very interested in because for those who don't know, McCracken County where I live in Paducah, we have the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant with, well, we did have the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant, which was a uranium enrichment site from mid 1950s all the way till about 2013, I think. So, um, it was the only operating uranium enrichment facility in the United States for a long time. And it's closed down and they're, they're currently trying to clean it up, but there's been some movement to try to lift the ban on your, um, nuclear energy at our state level so that hopefully we can take this site, which is already set up for, um, dealing with these type of materials for some kind of nuclear clean energy situation. So, you know, how we decide to move forward with this topic, at least at the energy level is one I'm very much interested in. Okay, major news development today. Have you read about the Panama Papers, Sarah? I have not. I've been climbing waterfalls with my children all day, so you'll have to fill me in. Well, I don't know a lot about it because I was similarly involved with my kids today. No waterfalls, but lots of outside playtime. But very large, and I've seen people saying, like, the largest leak of documents since the beginning of data journalism today. I think that's a quote from Edward Snowden. A Panamanian law firm has some anonymous source. I don't know if it's within that law firm or someone who hacked into the law firm. But anyway, there is lots of information out there linking very prominent current and former world leaders to offshore investments used to hide assets. And the names that I'm seeing the most today on Twitter are Vladimir Putin, surprise, surprise, and Iceland's prime minister, which that one was a little bit out of left field. Oh, I don't so, think so. Remember, they were the, remember Iceland was at totally at the middle of all that real estate of the, the housing crisis. Remember? Mm, that's true. And I thought about so that immediately when I saw that. Lots of um, Saudi royalty implicated here. I mean, this is a big deal and it literally happened today that we're recording on Sunday. So a lot will occur between now and Friday. And I think we'll revisit this on Friday's show, but wanted to mention it today because it is a really interesting story. And I think is probably fodder for a larger discussion about sort of how we feel about these data leaks generally and the transparency that is promoted, but also like the concerns associated with this kind of information getting out. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So we need to compliment the other side before we move on to the suit. And I thought that my compliment would link up with our trade discussion that we're about to do. I wanted to compliment uh, Kasim Reed and Bob Buckhorn. Kasim Reed is the mayor of Atlanta and Bob Buckhorn, the mayor of Tampa, both Democrats. And they have both been outspoken advocates for free trade and specifically for supporting the TPP because they see the exports that 
those trade agreements make possible as really important to their city's economies and and for very different reasons in both cities. I don't care so much about the substance of that support, but I wanted to compliment them because they're saying these things that are super unpopular with Democratic primary voters during a widely publicized presidential race. And I think that one, kind of understanding your role is important. So some of my concerns about our governor in Kentucky is that, like, I think he's operating as sort of a Tea Party conservative without recognition of his role as the governor of Kentucky, not oh. as just generic Tea Party conservative. So I like that they're thinking about their cities. That's what mayors are supposed to do. And I also like that they're speaking their truth about these agreements as they relate to their cities instead of kind of looking ahead in their own political journeys. So kudos to them for taking an unpopular position in a difficult time. Well, I wanted to officially um, give kudos and lots of love to, I know we mentioned it last week, but in, in the briefcase, but officially giving the love to Nathan Deal for vetoing Georgia's religious liberty law. Well done, sir. Well done. I had two sort of competing motivations. My first was like, like, I had this kind of instinct to, like, well, I need to go see what the Democratic stance is. And then I thought, well, maybe I don't. Maybe I should, like, read, sort of form my own opinion, and then see how it sort of lines up. But the crazy thing is, is it's sort of hard to find. I feel like this way, and tell me how you feel about this as a Republican, like, they're all kind of schizophrenic. It's all over the place. There's not really this one. Every party goes back and forth, which I think is indicative of how nuanced and complex this situation is to begin with. There are definitely unusual alliances, Mm -hmm. which I've decided is my new, this is a side note, I've decided that's my new phrase for strange bedfellows because I'm just tired of us like sexualizing everything and using like violent (laughs) words about everything. So I'm not going to say like war on anything anymore, no war on Christmas, war on women, any of that, and I'm not going to use sexual terms. So strange alliances around trade, and I agree with you. I think that a lot of it is because it's not really about what the role of government is or how you feel about poverty or civil rights or any of the issues that typically break down along party lines. It's just, it's very pragmatic in a lot of ways. And then very counterintuitive in terms of how all the different constituencies are impacted by trade. Well, I think I, what I have seen though, I think I will disagree with the, it's not about the role of government because the more I talk to people about it, just sort of in everyday conversation, the idea is that they do want a, the government playing a role in trade and they do want the government sticking up for the American worker and acknowledging that things are changing and um, and having a plan to deal with those changes and how they impact everyday people. I don't think it's necessarily about the government shaping the economy, but it's about um, the government paying close attention to how the economy is shaping the average American and sort of... Um, allowing for, like I said, um, either training to deal with changes within the economy that trade is bringing on or trade is reacting to, I guess might be more accurate. Well, I agree with that. So I think there are partisan differences on the reaction to whatever the impact of trade policy is domestically. But when you talk about what, how actually are we regulating trade with, with other nations, you know, Democrats have been as 
pro-free trade as Republicans historically, mm-hmm. right? NAFTA was signed under Bill Clinton and is one of his sort of signature events in his pregnant in, in his pregnancy, pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> his presidency. Yeah. So it's but then they turned on him, man. They went. Yeah, they, they turned did. on him. They absolutely did. I found a great piece in Slate that we'll put in the show notes that that completely eviscerates Bill Clinton from a progressive perspective over NAFTA and lots of other issues. And I don't think it's fair and I disagree with almost all of it, but it's really well written and thought out. Well, it's just interesting that I was reading this kind of sort of historical perspective and they were talking about like Democrats were sort of pushing for low tariffs and it was business friendly Republicans like way back with like McKinley and Harding and Coolidge and Hoover who were sort of protectionists because they were protecting American businesses. And then right around the 60s with Kennedy and then with Carter, Democrats were free traders. And they said, I read, 86% of House Democrats backed Kennedy's 1962 trade deal. So they were like pro-free trade. And then when it became sort of these big multinational corporations in the 80s under Reagan, that's when they they really lost a huge number of Democrats and they didn't feel pro-trade. And Clinton was able to get enough back for NAFTA, but then totally lost them for TPA. Here's the thing. What is progressive or conservative when it comes to trade? You know, because the progressive position, putting trade aside, is often about the benefits of multiculturalism, right? The recognition that diversity enhances a society and is something not only to be encouraged, but fiercely defended and protected. On the other hand, the conservative position, putting trade aside, is usually about... We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. 
Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Government staying out of the way to enable business to grow with on the theory that business growing uh, creates opportunity for everyone. If you apply some of those principles to free trade, it almost reverses the parties, right? Because mm-hmm. there's this nationalism in economic protectionism. There's also sort of a crony capitalism going on in a lot of the trade agreements. So it's just, it's thorny. Yeah. Well, and what I think is problematic, too, with a lot of these sort of, with the the liberal position that we must protect the American workers, there's no acknowledgement that free trade lowers prices. And if you're looking for some populist argument, I mean, lowering prices on a lot of these products, at least especially what you saw with NAFTA, does benefit the average American, you know, it's it's. I'm not saying it's as simple as lower prices help everybody because, unfortunately, they're right. Sometimes that's linked to lower wages. But, you know, for a long time, and I'm hoping I think we're seeing the end of this, and I'm not saying it's a positive thing, but Americans like their cheap goods, man. They like, those, they like that disposable wardrobe that they can get from Old Navy every month and a half. This is what really drives me crazy about... Both the Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders movement around trade. We vote with our dollars all the time. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we're going to vote inconsistently with those dollars at the ballot box and hope that the ballot box changes everything, that makes my head explode. Well, here's what I've been thinking a lot about. So... You know, everybody liked this free stuff. And and while I do think there was a particular sense, particularly where I live, among um, some of my relatives and friends and family, that you don't go to Walmart. You don't go to Walmart for that reason because it comes in and it destroys things. And it, you know, it drops the bottom out of the prices and local businesses can't compete. And I think for a long time that was very true. I think what, and still is true to a certain extent. However, I think what's sort of, to me, and as the sort of macro level of just my own perception, what's really changed with regards to free trade and the impact on, let's, you know, on a bigger level of small, not a smaller level of small businesses, and not necessarily when we're talking about these like factories closing down and moving their workers to um, Mexico, but like just about this price argument. You know, we have to get used to, you know, are we going to pay more for better products, right? And I don't think there was a real way to do that until really in the last five years with the internet. And now you really do have a way for companies to come in 
and make one thing well and charge more for it and be able to market it and get in front of people. I just think we were sort of at a crossways where I don't necessarily think it wasn't that American people weren't willing to do that and weren't willing to say, yeah, I'll pay more for well-made American-made products. But there was no way to do that, to scale it up as a business model without the internet, right? If you were some small company in North Carolina and you made great furniture, really well-made furniture, like you could only get it, you know, it was just, there's so much gatekeeping to get it into stores who had to compete with Walmart. Whereas now, if you're American Giant, I don't know, are you familiar with American Giant, Beth? No. It's this amazing company that, like, he he basically got, like, one of his his grandfather's sweatshirts that was, like, from, the like, the 30s or the 40s. And it was like, why don't we make things like this anymore? This is incredible. It's held up, blah, blah, blah. So he was like, well, okay, I'm going to make it in America. And he went to this textile company, and he, I mean, they just, they do it all. They make it, it's like a, but it's like a $75 hoodie, right? Mm-hmm. But it's made for like the internet age and social media and Kickstarter and, you know, like my husband found out about Slate wrote this article, like the best hoodie you've never heard of. And he bought one, we bought one. We didn't buy one. I should be honest. I got one for free because I put it on the news and talked about it. But it's amazing. Like it's, it's a really well made and people see it and they're like, I would never pay $75 for a hoodie. And then they see one. They're like, that's a really nice hoodie. I'm like, I know. This is what I'm saying. It's a really nice hoodie. So, but like he, there would be no way for them to do that. Like the 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 way to get to the Amer the the Americans interested in those products, like would be so small. You know what I mean? Like there's just no way to get to them except for now there is. And so I just really wonder if this discussion can change and Americans really if if you support if you if you don't like the impact of free trade and you really want to see you want to vote with your dollars and not just with the ballot box. I just think that's becoming easier and easier to do now. I think this changes every single day. Yeah. I think that it's difficult to have a historical perspective in the present moment. But I think looking back on this period, everything that's happened is going to be seen as just the pain of change and progress. Yeah. Just like previous revolutions in, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution and things like that. I, I think that we are just in a period of transition. And as, you know, as we were preparing for this episode, I was thinking about how I don't think there is a moral high ground on trade. You know, there are some issues where I feel pretty strongly like, no, this is right. Mm -hmm. You know, and and we try to talk about them in a nuanced way. And I usually feel like somewhere in between is what's really right on trade. I don't think so. I think it's about what you're willing to accept or not. But I guess my feeling about trade sort of mirrors how I feel about anything protectionist in life, which is that I'm just not about that. Mm -hmm. So when I think about like my parenting, are there things on television that I don't want my kids to see? Sure. I'm not going to say no television for my kids. Right. That's just not how I think about the world. And that's not how I think about economic policy. So my beef with trade agreements. So let's talk about the TPP for a second. Um, I, I did a short episode that's being released before this one, just to go over some basic terminology if you're not acquainted with trade at all. The TPP is 6,000 pages and a million words long. I struggle to see how that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I feel That seems way. not like free trade, but more like... Um, negotiated trade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, and I told you this, a lot of so TPP is intellectual property protections, which I have a big problem with because I think our international law, we should do an episode on this, intellectual law is jacked and we need, it needs to 
be reworked. So, I mean, that doesn't seem what this is, what it didn't. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, there's a lot happening in TPP that is really not about tariffs and import quotas and other restrictions on trade, right? And and that's one reason to support it in some ways, because it's this carefully negotiated dance among some really powerful countries in the world that impacts those relationships in our foreign policy. So you always talk about President Obama as a pragmatist. TPP seems like the definition of pragmatism yeah. to me. Now, here is a question that I have for you. I want to understand what is going on with Hillary Clinton and TPP, and I want to understand it in a way that doesn't make me think that she's just being um, opportunistic by going along with the Bernie Sanders wins in opposing TPP. No, I mean, I think she's just reacting to the populist movement within the primary. I mean, I'm a pragmatist, so I don't really have a huge problem with her doing that. I think she's just, I mean, if I'm being cynical that's what i think if i'm just being realistic about hillary clinton i don't think that she um sort of like before she became decided to run for president sat down and was like let me do like research and read every single issue that could come up and decide exactly how i feel on it just in my heart of hearts you know i think it just it's a constantly like you said especially with this issue it's like constantly evolving and shifting and maybe at a, i mean i don't think before she probably said anything about tpp she read the whole thing because she worked crazy. on it i mean you know she she helped negotiate parts of yeah, it yeah i mean that's true so i don't know if she if she if she felt like the perception of it changed if she felt like new information came up like right i said like if i'm being cynical she is reacting to the populist feeling in the in the party right now which i think if you're running a primary and you reacted to the party like i got no beef with you you're trying to be president whatever but if i'm being less cynical then i think it's something as big and bulky and as um what's the word i want like just like you said, so much crazy stuff involved with TPP as it started to move in motion. If her opinion of it changed based on the impact, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in her head. It's not, a, not. It's not a deal breaker for me either way. I'll be honest. Well, I hear you, and this is not necessarily a criticism. That what I'm about to say, although it may sound like one to some people, TPP to me seems like the essence of Clintonianism. Yeah. You know, like. You know, Bill Clinton, if you look at NAFTA, it's like side agreement on top of side agreement, right? Let's get this done. Let's figure out how we need to finesse everybody. There's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, that's how you and I might govern, right? Like, right. let's pay attention to all the interests. Let's move forward. Let's not let perfect get in the way of progress. Right. I think neither of us are strict ideologues on 90% of the issues. And maybe her, tra I mean, maybe getting out there in the Rust Belt and hearing the stories of people affected by NAFTA, you know, years after it's been passed, maybe that's affecting her. I don't know. I mean, I think that with regards to sort of the impact of these trade agreements, I mean, I think there's this big picture and this, there's an economic discussion, there's a global economic discussion, but I think what has been missed by both parties and I read a really great article about this one in particular. Like, I think there was like a HVAC air conditioning factory that moved the jobs over to Mexico. And these the people who have le been left behind by the changes in our global economy feel exactly like that. They feel left behind and ignored. And that is a problem. And, you know, we don't have to drag our economy back to 1960 
to address the concerns of these workers. Like, that's just not necessary. Like, there is a way to say, we have to deal with our changing global economy, but we hear you. We're not leaving you behind. We will help you. We will train you. We will do something so that we don't have a huge aging population that can't, that doesn't, that no longer works at a factory or physically can't work at a factory when there was one open on disability. Like, that's just, I've talked about this, this American Life episode again, and we'll link to it, that just talks about, like, that these people, it's a huge population of people that have just been left behind. And, you know, my grandmother, we were talking about this, and she said, which was a really good point, which is, I think, and this is what happened in the 80s with these multinational corporations. Like, you come in, you're an American corporation, you use, you know, our education system, our road system, our transportation system, whatever, all these things that we all pay into and we build and we have this great country. And then the second it doesn't, it's, you know, cheaper somewhere else, you bolt. I think, I mean... I don't know if you want constitu- you know, if you want government enforced responsibility among corporations, but or duties. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but I think she has a point. Like, you're in this with us and your only calculus shouldn't be it's cheaper somewhere else. I wish that a politician from any party would stand in front of a microphone and say we have issues to address in terms of certain types of skills that are no longer going to be used to their fullest capacity at the highest wages you can expect in America, the way to address those issues has nothing to do with trade policy. Uh-huh. Because I think that's what's true. We, I don't think we're ever going to get a trade agreement that addresses workers who have been displaced in the United States. And I don't think that we should get that because we wouldn't want other countries getting that kind of deal. And these are agreements. They're reciprocal. When Donald Trump talks about slapping these 45 percent tariffs on other countries, what do you think they're going to turn around and do? Like, it's not a unilateral situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to separate what trade policy should be from how we here in the United States deal with the impact of that trade policy. And it's not just the impact of trade policy. It's the impact of technology. It's the impact of creative destruction. Like all the things that you alluded to earlier, things are just changing. It's your sea world thing. Like Mm -hmm. you just have to adapt, you know, and we have to do that as a country. We have to do it as corporations. We have to do it as small businesses and as individuals. There is an adaptation that has to happen across our society. That's different than just shouting that China is ripping us off. Right. It's just, I I think that, so we've been talking, I've been listening to a lot of Brooke Castillo, who um, talks about kind of controlling your own thoughts and producing the life that you want. That sounds a lot more kind of airy-fairy than it is. But um, one of the things that she talks about a lot is taking emotional responsibility. And that's sort of how I feel that like we are as a country on trade, we need to take some emotional responsibility instead of just blaming other countries because we have a problem. We have displaced workers. We Mm -hmm. need to deal with that. That is separate from blaming the rest of the world for that problem. And I definitely have enough millennial millennial in me that sort of the idea that I feel like I get in conversations with people where they really, they just want it to be like it was in the 1960s. That's what they want. They want that back. We want, you worked at the same job, you paid into your pension, you got this retirement, this is how it works. 
I want that, that we need to go back to that. Like we want American jobs and you know, all these things. And I'm just like, that it's not the world we live in anymore. It just isn't like, even with regards to sort of, you know, sort of what like Kristen was talking about, um, in the selfie vote, even with government workers, like I think people of our generation for being such so entitled, we're not the ones that feel entitled to certain things. I don't feel entitled to a retirement. I don't feel entitled to a pension. I don't feel, I don't even count on social security. I pretend like that's never going to come my way. So I don't know. It's just really, it's such an interesting, I feel like there's a big generational gap on this subject as well. As a, I think so too. I think people of our generation have had no expectation of being able to stay with the same company for 25 years. I mean, all I hear from people of our generation is sort of, let me build my skills, Mm -hmm. right? Let me make sure my skills can adapt. I mean, you're a great example of that. Like you're a social media expert. If you learned MySpace and it was like, (laughs) you know, my business is built around this. Yeah. You know, like where would you be? Like you have known from the beginning that, your path particularly depends on you being flexible and being willing to change. And I talk to people entering the workforce all the time now about how flexibility is really the number one trait that most employers are looking for, because it's just going to be different. Now that doesn't mean that we don't care about what's happened to people who feel like the game changed on them. The game did change on them, right? If you're in a certain age range, you are in a different economy than the one you started and built your career around. So we have to deal with that. Now, there are lots of theories about how to deal with that, and I think that's probably another episode. But I think, you know, my point remains, that's different than who is the United States in the world. And to me, throwing up a bunch of protectionism around the United States and the world and saying we're not going to exchange goods and services with you unless we feel like we're taking advantage of you in the process is not the way for us to be a leader. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. 
That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, and I think what's really interesting, and I was thinking about when we were just talking about the generational thing, I think you sort of hear, and maybe this is the answer moving forward, if we could sort of bridge the gap, but I think what you hear from our generation is and younger, I mean, both this, this, what the, the problem that people have with trade, and particularly with regards to the American worker, and particularly with some of the arguments here in the Democratic Party, although I think that there's a lot of this with Donald Trump, is you know, they felt like they were told you do the system this way and this is how it works and you get the American dream and then everything changed. And I think if you want to get millennials to understand what that's like, then you talk about the education system. And I think that's what Bernie Sanders appeals to with younger voters, which is you were told if you go to college, you get your your slice of the American dream and you go forward. And maybe you don't, in their minds, it wasn't the same job forever. But I feel like that maybe that's sort of the both generations feel upset about what they feel like was being sold a bill of goods and that didn't turn out the way they expected it to be at the education system or sort of the workplace. And so, you know, I feel like with globalization and trade, if we could stop talking past each other, maybe each side could find solutions for the other. You know what I mean? Like maybe the the, the solution for people who feel like the workplace is not there for them anymore is training and education and for people who feel like that if they could get into the workplace, they could adapt to this changing global economy, you know, then there wouldn't be as much resentment of these trade policies. And where where Bernie Sanders has a real point is that it's really difficult to address displaced workers and the ram- the negative ramifications of trade in the United States 
because of crony capitalism, because of this wealth gap in the United States, and, and because we keep passing laws in Washington that create more wealth in the wealthy and do nothing for the people who aren't wealthy. So, you know, the winners are winning big and the losers are losing big. And economists keep saying, yeah, but the winners are winning so much bigger that it's a net win for us overall. Mm-hmm. And and Bernie Sanders is right in saying, like, that doesn't feel like a win to everybody. Yeah. Now, I think his way of addressing that will have seriously flawed um, policy associated with it and really negative consequences for the overall health of the economy as measured for everyone, not just for the, you know, the super rich. But but I get the sentiment. I don't get, and this just drives me insane about Donald Trump, I don't understand everything he's espousing for the United States to do as a country is exactly what we hate about big corporations today. Mm. The same people who despise corporate interests today happily listen to Donald Trump talking about those very interests controlling our policy. So he talks about, like, let's rip off other countries. Let's get the best deal. Everything's about money with him. He wants to turn our military into a bunch of mercenaries, right? So when corporations make decisions in the United States purely based on money, we hate those corporations. They're soulless. I've worked so hard for them, and they're just casting me aside. But cool for the United States to screw every other country in the world. I don't get that. I don't just from a values perspective. I don't get that. You know, and I think we are talking about the impacts of globalization and free trade on American workers. But I think, you know, we cannot let this discussion go on without acknowledging the real impact of globalization on workers all over the world. It is not always a positive situation in any way, shape or form. There are real abuses um, happening. I think, honestly, I think one of the the um, best industries to sort of see this all laid bare is the clothing industry. There's a lot of really mm-hmm. great um, long reads and books and documentaries about the impact on foreign workers of these massive clothing sweatshops. This is some, this was in my you know when I was talking about my sort of purely um, idealistic progressive days. That this was an issue I. T- I I cared a great deal about. I actually protested in an old Navy during my exciting college Look years. Look at you. I know. We <laughs> opened a banner. It's all about. But, I mean, I think fair trade is something that always has to be included in any discussion of free trade because the, the truth, as it always is, is somewhere in the middle. And it is a very nuanced discussion because while we don't want to shackle our economy in order to protect American workers, um, although we do want protections in place, we also don't want to let them loose on the world without protections in place for workers in other countries because that matters too. That impacts all of us. And it's not just the impact on these workers, but it's the impact on our an environment and, a, and on earth that we all share. And, I mean, especially the clothing industry, the economic impact is really, is truly terrifying. So, I mean, I think that's that's where... Free trade, in theory, sounds promising and you get people on board. And then what I think you've seen since the 80s is sort of impacts that nobody saw or maybe some people did see and warned us against that, you know, they have to be a part of the conversation. It's not a it's not a wholly positive thing. And I don't know. I, I don't disagree with any of what you just said, except that 
I don't know that we're ever going to get restrictions in a trade agreement that solve those problems. Mm -hmm. I think that, and this is where I go back to, I don't believe in protectionism in any form because until you truly change a culture where everyone just agrees, like, this is unacceptable and we don't do it, I don't think that you stop a lot of those abuses. So I'm, I'm just not sure that you can regulate in any form our way out of sweatshop type environments and other abuses of labor. But that's another episode. And we got to move on because we're going to talk about dessert next. <laughs> and it's time. So we've alluded before to our strong feelings about candy and other things. And Sarah, you wanted to spend some time on dessert combinations that we feel strongly about. I mean, do we just want to go ahead and just make the heels always dessert themed? Maybe we should just make that dessert and TV themed. We could just say from here forth, from henceforth, we will only debate things that involve sugar (laughs) or popular culture. My two favorite. We do have feelings about those. Yes. Well, it's really funny because I have this friend who has, she feels really strongly about nuts like no I think it's nuts and fruit actually she says I don't like nuts or fruit in my food which I always think is a hilarious way to put it because they are food I'm not really sure how (laughs) I mean they are food fruits and nut are food so I you know like my husband he doesn't want to he doesn't want any part of like he's sort of come once she sort of espoused this view he's adopted it and so now he doesn't really want any part of like you know any sort of banana bread banana but nut bread or I think he's opposed to the pineapple upside down cake situation, which I sort of feel like that. I feel like she just can go too far. I feel like chocolate is great. We don't, I do like pecans with chocolate, obviously, but like we've talked previously about any kind of like orange chocolate, chocolate mixing situation. But even with, I used to not really be into fruits as a dessert generally. Like I don't want any piece of cherry pie. I don't want to, I don't want a piece of that. I don't want a part of that. Like apple pie, I'm okay with, but really, if it was like apple pie and chocolate cake, I'm gonna eat the chocolate cake. So I'm all about the fruit and dessert. I love it. Um, I don't want dried fruit. I want real, you know, fresh. But remember, fruit. I made my pudding and it was amazing. Let's not forget this. Remember my Christmas pudding that I lit on fire. See, I feel like these hard and fast rules around dessert are always kind of inappropriate because with dessert, you have to at least try it. You have to at least come to the table for it. The only dessert combination that I have strong feelings about, and this is going to be very unpopular, I know. I'm feeling Twitter responses already saying that we can't be friends anymore. I don't like a lot of crap in my ice cream. Oh, that's a tough... I mean, be specific. Like, no, like, I don't want... Like, we talked about that episode I was watching. I think we did. Um, with, like, the gummy bears and the froyo. Like, that's inappropriate, <laughs> obviously, because it just makes them hard and cold and impossible to eat. I have absolutely nothing against this franchise, but I don't want any part of Cold Stone. I like, ate there I, last night, so I didn't eat it. I ate some of my kids. Like, if I go there, I just want the plain ice cream or frozen yogurt because I, I don't want you folding in all this junk and my ice cream. I think I mean, ice just, cream is to, pure and perfect. No, it has to be done right. I mean, I think people go too far. Like at the Froyos, I've discovered that like, because cho- it's really hard to get chocolate and frozen yogurt to work. But if you like do frozen uh, yogurt, chocolate and coconut, like it's really good. It's like a frozen mounds bar, like on board with that. 
But with the Cold Stone, like, it just has to be the right ingredient because sometimes making things, certain certain things that they mix in, if you make them cold, it makes them hard to eat. But, like, a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzard from Dairy Queen is basically, like, in my top ten. So, like, that I'm always on board with. I'm on board with, with M&M Blizzards and Butter Pecan Ice Cream. Those are the outer edges of my tolerance for solid substances in my ice cream. I just don't want it. Like, they put cake in my kid's Cold Stone yesterday, and it was totally good. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Like, cake yeah, crumbles? I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like any sort of... I, again, I'm just chocolate. I don't really like fruit much in the ice cream. But, like, when I was in Italy, they have this gelato called stracciatella, and they that's the chocolate that hardens. And so they're, like, mixing it in, and it hardens as they're doing it. And, like, you always hope for, like, the, the clump the size of, like, your hand that you find inside. Oh, it's so good. It's all chocolate, though. It all comes back to chocolate for me. Uh, yeah, I'll take chocolate. I mean, I think that's why M&M's are okay with me. And also but see, Traders. I don't like M&M's. They get too cold. It's the same thing. It's too hard and cooked. Reese's peanut butter cook works so well, one, because it's really crappy chocolate, and two, because of the peanut butter. Like, it doesn't get hold and harden. I really think this is what it's coming down to me the more I talk this through. I like the hardened chocolate. So Grater's that oh, yeah, based in Cincinnati, oh. you know, they pour the chocolate in as the ice cream's so, freezing, so you get these massive Yeah, that's like of, the stracciatella. I forgot they did that, too. It's really delicious chocolate. And they have so, insanely good hot fudge. Just, it's insane. That I can work with, but I don't want the sprinkles and the cake pieces and the candies. No, thank you. You know what I don't like? Chocolate ice cream. Really? Yeah, isn't that weird? Don't want any part of it. And I like chocolate cookies, either. I mean, I generally think that most other ice cream flavors are superior to chocolate, but I'm not going to say no. See, but like I like Ben and Jerry's and they mix all kinds of stuff into their ice cream. Yeah, their brownie stuff is pretty good. But then the chocolate again. So I think we've exempted chocolate generally from this rule. All right. All right. I'm on board. I feel I I feel I feel where you're going with that. I really am just going to eat a chocolate chip cookie is really what it comes down to. At the end, like if there's is all dessert options are open to me, I'm gonna eat a chocolate chip cookie. Really? Mm-hmm. It's my number I one favorite food. Think about that. I'm probably I'm probably having ice cream. That's just where I am. But see, I, know, I mean, ice cream can sit in my freezer forever. Plain, pure, high quality ice cream. That's but I, I did like. get into popsicles. Like when, like I have a popsicle cookbook that I'll put in the show notes that I absolutely love. It's like got fruit popsicles, and then I'll have like the, it's at, there's some alcoholic ones and um. There's like chocolate ones and creamy ones and all these different. It's really fun to make popsicles. It's like a totally different thing. So with your fruit thing, are you anti-cobbler? Um, no, I'm not. I like blueberry cobbler and like, but I would not eat. I'm really just opposed to cherry. I think cherry, faked cherry is nasty. Like raw cherries are delicious, but like cherry pie, like maraschino cherries, no pass. Mm. What about an alcohol? Oh no, 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 that's totally different. Okay. <laughs> be we serious. Have, be serious. We have standards around Come on. here. Come on. All right. Well, we want to thank uh, Nicholas Holland, Chad Silvers, um, for producing our shows. Kimberly and for being Thurman, our husbands. And for being our husbands and generally being wonderful. Kimberly Thurman, Patrick Rocks for our music. Um, all of you for listening. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're Pantsuit Politics on Facebook at Pantsuit Politic. No S on Twitter. And until next time, keep it nuanced, y'all. 